Welcome into another edition of Gator Bites. I'm Lauren Rue, joined by Ryan the Hacker Green, Denny Thompson. This guy's slacking, <laughs> Hacker. I mean, I knew you carried this thing, but I, I guess I get some uh, some reps in as well during the summer when Denny's off training the future quarterbacks of America. In fairness, when you have the future quarterbacks of Florida, Florida State, and Georgia that you're working with currently, uh, he's obviously a very, very busy man. So we'll give Denny a pass this week. Yeah, we absolutely will. All right, let's talk about some of those recruits that you mentioned before. It's July uh, kind of quiet time. Is this like the quietest month in high school or college football, high school turning into college football? You know, Lauren, it, it used to be. There's no question about that. But interestingly enough, I, I don't know if it's the December signing period, but I think that has a lot to do with it. We see a lot more commitments now than we certainly did, you know, three, four, five years ago. Um, so it's not as active as you'll see, you know, once the official visits start rolling around. But there's still plenty going on, both on a positive side. And, and before we get into the negative, and there is some negative with the University of Florida, I did want to mention they did receive a commitment in the last couple of days from uh, Richard uh, Leonard. He's a big offensive lineman out of the Coco area. So six feet two, I believe 320 pounds, a three-star lineman, uh, could potentially become a four-star offensive lineman. So it's not all bad. I don't mm-hmm. want it to make it seem like it's all bad. So you get a lineman in the fold for the 2020 class, although if you rewind the clock and go back to the 2019 class, that's where some issues are now developing for the Florida Gators. You mentioned the issues, and I guess that's where we'll start. Of the 25 signees the Gators had for this upcoming class so far, and, and the way you posed this when we talked about the topics for this conversation, so far four of them have left the program uh, Jalen Jones, Chris Steele, Black, Hammond. You said so far because you expect there to be more or? There could potentially be more. There's three more guys that have yet to enroll. Uh, so we'll see what ultimately happens. But go back to 2019. Everything's wonderful. The Gators had signed 25 guys. They were a top 10 class nationally. But think about what's transpired in the last five months since signing day in February. You had the situation with Jalen Jones, mm-hmm. the four-star quarterback who got involved with um, – there were some sexual misconduct, sexual um, allegations. Assault charges. Assault yeah, charges. Yeah. Now, well, allegations. I, right, yeah, he yeah. wasn't charged. There were no charges, just right. allegations, no charges. But obviously after that incident or incidents, I think there were two of them, Jalen Jones decided to leave the program. He is now in a, a 1AA program. I believe Jackson State is where he ended up. Because of that, almost a direct correlation to that incident – uh, Chris Steele, the five-star defensive back from California, decided he was going to go home back to, well, it was Oregon, mm-hmm. and then he went to USC. Now, some people around the Gator program will tell you Chris Steele was homesick, and he used the Jalen Jones situation as a way to get out of there and to petition the NCAA for immediate playing time at USC. Because for those who are uh, familiar with that part of the story, they were roommates, is that correct? Yes. Okay. And he had asked for different living arrangements, and the whole thing's just weird. The bottom line is the Gators had a five-star defensive back in the fold that I personally thought was going to play a lot in 2019, and now he's going to most likely play for the Southern Cal Trojans. So that's another one that's gone. So Jalen Jones, Chris Steele. Then you add a couple of guys because of grade issues. Dewan Black is a four-star kid. He was an interesting story all through the recruiting process. Originally committed to Dan Mullen at Mississippi State, then decommitted. Then he committed to Matt Luke at Ole Miss. 
then decommitted. And then when Mullen got the job at Florida, he came with Mullen to Gainesville. Black did not play his senior year to focus on grades. Uh, he improved himself, improved himself academically, but not to the point where he needed to be to meet NCAA regulations. So he did not get in. He's off to a junior college. And then this past weekend, Diaby Hammond, a four-star young man out of Lakeland, a big offensive lineman, also tweets out that he is not in as he did not meet NCAA mm. regulations. So all of a sudden now, that 25-person top 10 class, right. you're minus about almost 20% of those guys. And it has people wondering, A, you know, how is this going to affect Florida in the fall? But B, what kind of kids is Dan Mullen recruiting? And should the Gator coaching staff take a better look at guys they're going after on the recruiting trail? How, um, how unique is this to Florida? These kind of commitments, guys don't make grades, meaning of the 25 that they have signed so far, and, and, you, and you mentioned the four who, for different reasons, are not there anymore. How unique is that to this situation? I mean, doesn't it happen? Doesn't, don't decommitments and guys don't make grades happen everywhere? Yeah, it happens, but four out of 25, that, that's a lot. I mean, when you're talking about 20% of a class, yeah. that starts the conversation. I like your math there. Yeah, I mean, that starts the conversation <laughs> rolling. So, yeah, I mean, it does happen. I don't want to say that Florida is the only team right. that this happens to. And keep in mind, you know, and, and we talked about this on XL Primetime this week, I think some of these guys were going to play as true freshmen. I think Chris Steele was going to play in that Gator defensive backfield. I think uh, Diaby Hammond, most of the time, true freshman offensive linemen don't get in there. But keep in mind, this is a Gator offensive line that's replacing four starters. Mm-hmm. He could have come in and competed for playing time. Dewan Black, at least on special teams, could have contributed. Now, Jalen Jones wasn't going to play more than likely. He was going to be the third-string quarterback. But a couple of these guys could have come in and could have contributed. It's just... It leaves a bad taste in the mouth. 25 guys, top 10, Dan Mullins on top of the world. You subtract four guys from that class, including a four-star quarterback, including a five-star DB, including a four-star linebacker and a four-star offensive lineman. These aren't three-star guys they were losing. These are three four-stars and a five-star. It just leaves a a bad taste in Gator fans' mouths. So hopefully this doesn't happen in the future. And in the case of Hammond and Black, Hopefully they get their grades in order, and I think they both will, particularly Dewan. Dewan worked really hard. I was, uh, it was kind of unfortunate that he didn't qualify at the, at the 11th hour there. But hopefully they work hard, and who knows, maybe they could ultimately become Florida Gators in the future. Well, let's focus on the quarterback for a second here. You mentioned Jalen Jones going on uh, to alternative programming, if you will. Uh, Felipe Franks, I moved here a year ago, and just the transformation he made in that beginning of that season to where his own home crowd was booing him to essentially winning them back and leading them to the 11 win season when it was all said and done 10 wins 10 wins wins when it was all said and done uh and getting the momentum going in the right direction to listen everybody's with all due respect everybody's a Heisman hopeful in July (laughs) when we get to October and November that's obviously when people separate themselves but why, what do you credit, or who do you credit for his transformation from where he started to where he is now? Oh, I, I think it almost all has to go to Dan Mullen and Brian Johnson, the quarterback coach. I mean, look, uh, do I think Felipe Franks is going to win the Heisman Trophy in 2019? No, I don't. The fact that we're even having that conversation about Felipe Franks and the Heisman in the same sentence is unbelievable based on where things were in November. I know we've talked about this on Gator Bites here on the 1010XL.com 
uh, podcast network, but the fact that he was benched during the Missouri game, the fact that Kyle Trask was going to start the following week against South Carolina, Trask breaks his foot in practice. The Gators have no other options. Right. Felipe comes back in. And, and also, he was bad in the first half of South Carolina. He was not good. Mm-hmm. If you'll remember, South Carolina, I want to say, they had a 17-point lead at the half. I mean, they were beating Florida pretty good. And I don't know what happened in the locker room at halftime against South Carolina. Uh, but my goodness, coming out, destroying South Carolina in the second half, that's where the whole hushing of the crowd mm-hmm. happened, which is another story we'll get to in a moment. But then you, you bludgeon Florida State, your rival on the road after that. You beat a top-10 Michigan team in the bowl game after that. And all of a sudden, a quarterback that was benched towards the end of last year, in fact, on homecoming last mm-hmm. year, is now thought of as one of the best quarterbacks in the Southeastern Conference coming into 2019. It's an incredible story. Uh, again, I, I did not know how Gator fans were going to react. I I know a lot of Gator fans, Lauren. I've been going to Gainesville for a long time. And when I saw Felipe hush, boo, the basically tell the people to stop booing, hush the home crowd, I thought, oh, no. This, <laughs> this could, is not going to end well is, for this him. This is not going to end well for, for Felipe Franks when it comes to Gator Nation. But whether they've either A, forgotten, which mm-hmm. I don't think so, or B, let bygones be bygones and just moved on, things have been wonderful. I am unbelievably curious, though, unbelievably curious. If on August the 24th, he goes out there against Miami, mm-hmm. maybe throws an interception, maybe throws two interceptions, what will the fan base's reaction yeah. be? It's easy to root for a guy when sure. you're killing Florida State yep. and you're killing Michigan. This is the same guy that was being booed right. against Georgia and against Missouri last year. If things continue to be good, that's all. Wonderful. Yeah, winning fixes everything. Right. If he goes out and struggles against Miami, that could be. Really interesting how the fan base reacts. What about his quarterback play has changed in his time at Florida? Uh, well, I mean, the, he's a big guy. I mean, yeah. He's a big guy. You know, he's all, what, 6'4", 6'5", 230, 235 pounds. I mean, he's a big cat. And he in Dan Mullen's offense, you need to run the ball. I mean, look at Alex Smith at Utah. Obviously, Tebow. You know, you look at what Dak Prescott and Nick Fitzgerald did at Mississippi State. That's part of it. And once Felipe started doing that, and defenses had to respect that, receivers became more open. you got to respect the quarterback that's willing to take off. And I think he started playing with a lot more confidence. I mean, look, you know, once Trask got hurt, maybe this was another part of it, Lauren. Once Trask got hurt, Felipe knew it didn't matter how bad he played. Yeah. There was no one else. There was nobody else, right. There was nobody else to come in. Uh, So, you know, when you have that pressure off, you're not looking over your shoulder constantly. Maybe that was another issue that led to Felipe Franks playing really well. But, but I do think he has matured a lot. I was told when he was in high school, and again, I don't want to even say the guy that told me this, but I, it's a guy that I believe. When he was in high school, Felipe ran an offense where they would literally draw plays in the dirt some of the time. Like, they would be in the huddle. Oh, wow. You run a down and in. Uh-huh. You run a post on one ready break. They didn't exactly have a thorough playbook <laughs> when he right. was in high school. So maybe he was a bit overwhelmed when yeah, he got to maybe, Florida? maybe he got to Florida. He's in the film room, and they hand him a playbook that's as thick as a phone book. Uh-huh. And he's looking at all this like, holy cow, yeah. I'm not drawing plays in the dirt anymore. And I mean, yeah, it's been three years, but maybe it did also take some time for him to develop into a quality college quarterback, which, by the way, I would call him a quality college quarterback right now. I, I don't I don't think you could name, you know, 
10, 15 guys in the country you'd want over Felipe Franks. You could certainly name some, obviously. Trevor Lawrence, Jake Fromm, uh, you know, Tua, et cetera. But I think once you get to about the 10, 12 quarterback number, I think Felipe Franks is right there right after that. Expectations for him, and, and we'll get to the expectations for this team as we're just a month, six weeks out. Six weeks. Six weeks out from the start of college football season. As quickly as it goes, it seems like it comes right back around. How about what are the, you mentioned if, if things open up against Miami and he throws a pick and it turns into two. Uh, what about the other side of that? What if he comes out and they put up seven quickly and the defense makes a stop and before you know it, they're up two touchdowns early on and they get out of there with the win, start the season beating one of the big three and are 1-0. Where do the expectations from him grow? I mean, do they grow as the season goes on? Are they already pretty high to begin with? Where do you see Gator fans looking to um, kind of judge what he does this season? Oh, I, I think they're, they're very high. And look, I don't know one Gator fan. That's not saying a lot because a lot of them never pick them to lose anyway. And I love Gator Nation, but they just don't pick against Florida very much. But in talking to Gator fans, Denny Thompson on here every week on Gator Bites. They're of the opinion, Denny's of the opinion, Florida's going to kill Miami. Just absolutely kill Miami. They're an eight, eight and a half point favorite right now. So we'll certainly see what happens. Uh, but yeah, I think expectations for Franks will grow as he continues to play to play well. Now, for the overall team, I don't want to dump a bunch of water on the blazing inferno, which is Gator fan expectation <laughs> coming into 2019. The mm-hmm. one thing I'll say is this. You look at that schedule, man. October in particular. You have a gauntlet of a schedule where you have LSU, you have Auburn, I know Georgia, I think it's November 2nd, so right outside of October, but in a four-week stretch, you have the Auburn Tigers, the LSU Tigers, and the Georgia Bulldogs. You have two non-conference games against your two big in-state rivals in Miami and Florida State. Never mind the fact you also have three road games at Kentucky, at South Carolina, at Missouri, Two of those games you lost at home last year mm-hmm. to Kentucky and Missouri. Look, I think Florida's going to be very good. They have the potential to be outstanding. They have the potential to maybe compete for the SEC East. But I think Gator fans, their expectations right now are sky high, and, and with good reason, I would just temper those a little bit. That is a bear of a schedule they are playing. It is going to be hard to get out of that thing, in my opinion. I, I can't for the life of me see 11-1. and one. Ten and two to me is pushing it. I think it's a nine and three type schedule. Well, I was gonna say, did is did I see a um, like a Vegas odds put them at ten or ten and a half for over under? I yeah. saw one of them at nine. Nine, they okay, were at nine yeah. for over under, and I think that's about right. Look, I mean, if you win nine games, you know, uh, you're getting, when you're playing Georgia, you're playing LSU, you're playing Auburn, you're playing Tennessee and and Miami and Florida State and South Carolina, Missouri, Kentucky, Vanderbilt. I mean, that's you got to win six of those that mm-hmm. I just mentioned. You know, you got to win six of those just to get to the nine points. So, yeah, they're going to be good, but I, but Auburn thinks they're going to be very good. LSU thinks they're going to compete for a national title. Georgia knows they're going to compete right. for a national title. You talk to people at, at Missouri, and they're all excited about Kelly Bryant. Mm-hmm. And Florida very rarely goes up to Columbia, Missouri, and plays well. Right. I think the last two times they went up there, they've just gotten destroyed at Missouri. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough haul. We'll see what happens. I'm of the opinion that Florida may be a better roster Lauren this year, but I don't know if their win loss record will, will represent tell that. that story. Yeah. They may be worse win loss wise 
than they were a year ago, but have a better team this year, if that makes sense. As, yeah, it does. Outside of the schedule, what concern do you have right now on July the 10th for this team? Uh, it's the same concern I've had real offseason, and I won't. my concern won't change until I see it with my own eyes, and that's the offensive line. Um, I don't care how good Felipe Franks is. I don't care how good the running game could potentially be, and I don't care how good the wide receivers are. I think that's all wonderful, but if you don't have an offensive line, it's not going to matter. Uh, if Felipe Franks is on his back, he's not going to be throwing to Van Jefferson or Tyree Cleveland or Trevon Grimes. You have to replace 80% of your offensive line from last year. And to me, that's a big, big deal. Now, if now they've recruited well. Mm-hmm. They've got a lot of you know, four-star guys that are going to come up and that have been in the weight room for the last year, year and a half, and, and we'll see what happens. But until they show me on August 24th against Miami – that they can pick up blitzes and they can do what it takes to open up running lanes and whatnot, I'm still going to be skeptical skeptical about the offensive line until that moment. This time next week, we will be day three into SEC Media Days. If you could ask Dan Mullen two or three questions, what would they be? Uh, I'd ask him, you know, do you think it's smart to poke the bear when it comes to the Georgia Bulldogs? <laughs> I, I, I think it's great to have fun right. with people. Spurrier certainly had fun with Tennessee. Spurrier certainly had fun with Florida State. But didn't Spurrier earn that ability to do so? Yeah. Yeah. You can't smell citrus without UT. That's because you're beating Tennessee every year. Mullen hasn't, with all due respect to what he's done in his first year here, don't you think there's some growing that still needs to take place before he can go down that track? They had a great goal line stand against Georgia, and that's wonderful. Georgia won that game by, what, 20 points last year? (laughs) I don't know if somebody beats you by 20 if you, you want to be aggravating them right. on social media in the offseason. I think it's fun, yeah. and I think Gator fans enjoy it. I also think game week, Kirby Smart, Georgia players are going to be asked about it. Not that they'll need any more motivation, but it right. will become a storyline. So I, I'd ask about that. But also, I mean, the, the big question for Dan Mullen, really what's going to all come down to is the play of the offensive line, and that's going to correlate into the play of Felipe Franks. Is Felipe Franks the guy – that can get Florida over the hump, and that hump is the Georgia Bulldogs. And uh, we'll see what he says. Obviously, it's going to be interesting to see. And uh, another thing, too, I don't know if I'd ask Mullen this, but something I'm curious about, losing Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, now losing uh, Brian Edwards to transfer, a a freshman in Chris Steele not coming in, DBU for the Gators, they have very good defensive backs. But Marco Wilson's coming off an ACL. C.J. Henderson's a very good player. Brad Stewart's a very good player. But are there now depth concerns in the secondary with everything that's transpired this offseason? Yeah, all good stuff. And, again, we'll have you uh, full coverage of SEC Media Days beginning next week. I know that um, Matt Hayes will be there from XL Primetime. I know the Frangie Show will be there. And then Josie will be there from your show covering ACC Media Days the latter half of the week. So, all right, Hacker, I appreciate it. Lauren, thank you. Have a great show today. You can catch Hacker along with Josie. Leon Searcy should be back today and uh, the remainder of the week. And Matt Hayes uh, from noon to 3 every day on Tinted XL 92.5 FM.